Hey, it's Otis here. Before we get to the bedtime reading, I wanted to let you know that I just launched a brand new show. It's called The Daily Book Club, a daytime companion to Sleepy, where you hear entire books one chapter at a time, one day at a time. Simple as that. So if Sleepy is how you uh, wind down your day, The Daily Book Club is a great way to start your day. There's new episodes daily. Uh, I read in a slightly peppier voice so that you can get really lost in these amazing stories that have stood the test of time. Or, just like Sleepy, you can sit back and relax and zone out to a good book. The first book we'll be reading is The Enchanted April by Elizabeth Von Arnhem. Story is, in the 1920s, four women unfulfilled with life take a chance and abscond to a dreamy medieval Italian castle. It's a story dripping with wisteria, the beauty of solitude, and an unlikely pursuit of joy in Portofino, Italy. I think that this is a perfect story for the season, and you can hear it now. Find The Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. This show has been a long time coming, and I'm so excited to bring you even more stories. So go subscribe to The Daily Book Club to hear what happens next. Thanks. This episode of Sleepy is proudly sponsored by ButcherBox. If you've listened to Sleepy for a while, you know that I love good food, eating well, and treating my body right so that I can take on my days. Well, ButcherBox helps you do exactly that. They deliver super high-quality, 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, crate-free pork, and wild-caught seafood right to your door. It's humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones, they have a huge variety to choose from. They are excellent deals. They've got recipes and guides and tips included. And there's free shipping, always. Eating well is a huge factor in getting a good night's sleep, as is sometimes saving the trip to the grocery store and taking some stress out of your daily schedule. I have been loving these deliveries for those reasons. Been cooking up their uh, steak tips with eggs in the morning with butter and scallions and soy sauce. And I also made a delicious brine chicken roast with lemon parsley gravy. So good. The prices for this kind of quality and convenience is really impressive. Uh, yeah, ButcherBox has made me very happy. So sign up at butcherbox.com sleepy and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com sleepy and use code sleepy to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. Butcherbox.com sleepy. Eat well, sleep well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, and you're listening to Sleepy. A podcast where I read old books to help you get to sleep, and a proud member of the Airwave Podcast Network. I have got a wonderful, snoozy bedtime story for you tonight. But before we get to tonight's reading, I just want to thank all of our patrons on Patreon.com. Heather Jays, Tate James, Kiwi, Mar Vigil, Adrian Clem, Rachel Dialba, Margaret Nicosia, Mandy Taylor, Brianne Lovins, my good friend from so long ago, Becky Laird. And a big shout out to Callum Fitzpatrick, whose mother is a wonderful patron of the show as well. And Callum is wondering how old I am uh, based on my voice. I'm 28. Thanks for asking, Callum. 
Thank you to all of our new patrons so much for being a part of making this show. It really means a lot. And if you're listening and you'd like to support the show and be a part of making it too, just go to patreon.com slash sleepy radio and donate even a dollar a month. Five dollars a month gets you access to a special Patreon poetry feed with extra readings every month just for donating. Regardless of how much you donate, I'll read your name in the opening credits of the next show after you do. That's patreon.com slash sleepy radio. Thank you. And as always, the music you're hearing is by my good friend James Lepkowski, and the cover art for Sleepy is by Gracie Kanan. Tonight, I'm going to be reading a wonderful little tale that I'm sure many of you are familiar with, at least the premise of. This is Jack and Jill by Louisa May Alcott. Louisa May Alcott is probably best known for writing Little Women. And this uh, little story she wrote here, this is based on the Jack and Jill poem that we all probably know by heart. This is their story, just a little longer than the poem. And a really excellent writing to fall asleep to. So tonight... We'll be reading the first chapter of Jack and Jill, and then it will repeat itself so that you can fall asleep and stay asleep while the story melodically starts over. And now is the time for you to fluff up your pillow just how you like it. Feel yourself melt into your bed. Get real comfortable. Close your eyes and let me read to you. Chapter One Clear the Lula was the general cry in a bright December afternoon, when all the boys and girls of Harmony Village were out enjoying the first good snow of the season. Up and down three long coasts, they went as fast as legs and sleds could carry them. One smooth path led into the meadow, and here the little folk congregated. One swept across the pond, where skaters were darting about like water bugs. And the third, the very top of the steep hill ended abruptly at a rail fence on the high bank above the road. There's a group of lads and lasses sitting or leaning on this fence to rest after an exciting race, and as they repose, they amuse themselves with criticizing their mates, still absorbed in the most delightful of outdoor sports. Here comes Frank Minot, looking as solemn as a judge, cried one, as a tall fellow of sixteen spun by with a set look about the mouth and a keen sparkle of the eyes, fixed on the distant goal with a do-or-die expression. Here's Molly Lou and Little Boo, sang out another. And down came a girl with flying hair, carrying a small boy behind her, so fat that his short legs stuck out from the sides, and his round face looked over her shoulder like a full moon. There's Gus Burton. Doesn't he go it? And such a very long boy whizzed by that it looked as if his heels were at the top of the hill when his head was at the bottom. Hurrah for Ed Devlin and a general shout greeted a sweet-faced lad with a laugh on his lips, a fine color on his brown cheek, and a gay word for every girl he passed. Laura and Lottie keep to the safe coast into the meadow, 
and Molly Lou is the only girl that dares to try this long one to the pond. I wouldn't for the world. The ice can't be strong yet, though it is cold enough to freeze one's nose off, said a timid damsel, who sat hugging a post and screaming whenever a mischievous lad shook the fence. No, she isn't. Here's Jack and Jill, going like fury. Clear the track for Jolly Jack, sang the boys, who had rhymes and nicknames for nearly everyone. Down came a gay red sled, bearing a boy who seemed all smile and sunshine. So white were his teeth, so golden was his hair, so bright and happy his whole air. Behind him clung a little gypsy of a girl with black eyes and hair, cheeks as red as her hood, and a face full of fun and sparkle as she waved Jack's blue tippet like a banner with one hand and held on with the other. Jill goes wherever Jack does, and he lets her. He's such a good-natured chap. He can't say no. To a girl, slyly added one of the boys, who had wished to borrow the red sled and had been politely refused because Jill wanted it. He's the nicest boy in the world, for he never gets mad, said the timid young lady, recalling the many times Jack had shielded her from the terrors which beset the path to her school in the shape of cows, dogs, and boys who made faces and called her Freddy Cat. He doesn't get mad with Joe, for she'd take his head off in two minutes if he did, growled Joe Flint. Still smarting from the rebuke Jill had given him for robbing the little ones of their safe coast because he fancied it. She wouldn't. She's a dear. You needn't sniff at her because she's poor. She's ever so much brighter than you are, or she wouldn't always be at the head of your class, old Joe, cried the girls, standing by their friend with a unanimity which proved what a favorite she was. Joe subsided as scornful a curl to his nose as its chilly state permitted, and Mary Grant introduced a subject of general interest by asking abruptly, Who's going to the candy scrape tonight? All of us. Frank invited the whole set, and we shall have a tip-top time. We always do it at Minot's, cried Sue, the timid trembler. Jack said there was a barrel of molasses in the house, so there would be enough for all to eat and some to carry away. They know how to do things handsomely. And the speaker licked his lips, as if already tasting the feast in store for him. Mrs. Minot is a mother worth having, said Molly Lowe, coming up with Boo on the sled, and she knew what it was to need a mother, for she had none and tried to care for the little brother with maternal love and patience. She is just as sweet as she can be, declared Mary, enthusiastically. Especially when she has a candy scrape, said Joe, trying to be amiable, lest she should be left out of the party. Whereat they all laughed and went gaily away for a farewell frolic as the sun was setting and the keen wind nipped fingers and toes as well as noses. Down they went, one after another, on the various coasts. Solemn Frank, Long Gus, Gallant Ed, Flyaway Molly Lou, Pretty Laura and Lottie, Grumpy Joe, Sweet-Faced Mary, with Sue shrieking wildly behind her. Gay Jack and Gypsy Joe, always together, one and all bubbling over with the innocent jollity born of healthful exercise. People passing in the road below looked up and smiled involuntarily at the red-cheeked lads and lasses, filling the frosty air with peals of laughter 
and cries of triumph as they flew by in every conceivable attitude. For the fun was at its height now, and the oldest and gravest observers felt a glow of pleasure as they looked, remembering their own young days. Jack, take me down to the coast. Joe said I wouldn't dare do it, so I must, commanded Joe, as they paused for breath after the long trudge up the hill. Jill, of course, was not her real name, but had been given because of her friendship with Jack, who so admired Janie Pack's spirit and fun. I guess I wouldn't. It is very bumpy and ends in a big drip. Not half so nice as this one. Hop on and we'll have a good spin across the pond. And Jack brought Thunderbolt round with a skillful swing and an engaging air that would have won obedience from anybody but willful Jill. It is very nice, but I won't be told I don't dare by any boy in the world. If you are afraid, I'll go alone. And before he could speak, she had snatched the rope from his hand, thrown herself upon the sled, and was off, helter-skelter, down the most dangerous coast on the hillside. She did not get far, however, for, starting in a hurry, she did not guide her steed with care and the red charger landed her in the snow halfway down, where she lay laughing till Jack came to pick her up. If you will go, I'll take you down all right. I'm not afraid, for I've done it a dozen times with other fellows. But we gave it up, because it is short and bad, he said, still good-natured, though a little hurt at the charge of cowardice. For Jack was as brave as a little lion, and with the best sort of bravery, the courage to do right. So it is, but I must do it a few times, or Joe will plague me and spoil my fun tonight, answered Joe, shaking her skirts and rubbing her blue hands, wet and cold with the snow. Here. Put these on. I never use them. Keep them if they fit. I only carry them to please mother. And Jack pulled out a pair of red mittens with the air of a boy used to giving away. They are lovely warm, and they do fit. Must be too small for your paws, so I'll knit you a new pair for Christmas and make you wear them too, said Jill putting on the mittens with a nod of thanks and ending her speech with a stamp of her rubber boots to enforce her threat. Jack laughed, and up they trudged to the spot whence the three coasts diverged. Now which will you have, he asked with a warning look in the honest blue eyes which often unconsciously controlled naughty Jill against her will. That one, and the red mitten pointed firmly to the perilous path just tried. You will do it? I will. Come on then, and hold tight. Jack's smile was gone now, and he waited without a word while Jill tucked herself up and took his place in the front, and off they went on the brief, breathless trip straight into the drift by the fence below. I don't see anything very awful in that. Come up and have another. Joe is watching us, and I'd like to show him that we aren't afraid of anything, said Jill, with a defiant glance at a distant boy who had paused to watch the descent. It is a regular go-bang, if that is what you like, answered Jack, as they plowed their way up again, 
It is. You boys think girls like little mean coasts without any fun or danger in them, as if we couldn't be brave or strong as well as you. Give me three go-bangs and then we'll stop. My tumble doesn't count, so give me two more and then I'll be good. Jill took her seat as she spoke and looked up with such a rosy, pleading face that Jack gave in at once. And down they went again, raising a cloud of glittering snow dust as they reined up in fine style with their feet on the fence. It's just splendid. Now, one more, cried Jill, excited by the cheers of a slang party passing below. Proud of his skill, Jack marched back, resolved to make the third go the crowning achievement of the afternoon, while Jill pranced after him as lightly as if the big boots were the famous seven-leagued ones, and chattering about the candy scrape and whether there would be nuts or not. So full were they of this important question that they piled on haphazard and started off still talking so busily that Jill forgot to hold tight and Jack to steer carefully. Alas for the candy's grave that never was to be. Alas for poor Thunderbolt, blindly setting forth on the last trip he ever made. And oh alas for Jack and Jill who willfully chose the wrong road and ended their fun for the winter. No one knew how it happened, but instead of landing in the drift or at the fence, there was a great crash against the bars, a dreadful plunge off the steep bank, a sudden scattering of girl, boy, sled, fence, earth, and snow all about the road, two cries, and then silence. I knew they'd do it, and standing on the post where he had perched, Joe waved his arms and shouted, smash up, smash up, run, run, like a raven croaking over a battlefield when the fight was done. Down rushed the boys and girls, ready to laugh or cry, as the case might be, for accidents will happen on the best regulated coasting grounds. They found Jack sitting up, looking about him with a queer, dazed expression, while an ugly cut on the forehead was bleeding in a way which sobered the boys and frightened the girls half out of their wits. He's killed, he's killed, wailed Sue, hiding her face and beginning to cry. No, I'm not. I'll be all right when I get my breath. Where's Joe? asked Jack. Stoutly, though still too giddy to see straight. The group about him opened, and his comrade in misfortune was discovered lying quietly in the snow with all the pretty color shocked out of her face by the fall, and winking rapidly, as if half stunned. But no wounds appeared, and when asked if she was dead, she answered in a vague sort of way. I guess not. Is Jack hurt? Broken his head, croaked Joe, stepping aside, that she might behold the fallen hero vainly, trying to look calm and cheerful with red drops running down his cheek and a lump on his forehead. Jill shut her eyes and waved the girls away, saying faintly, Never mind me. Go and see to him. Don't, I'm all right. And Jack tried to get up in order to prove that headers off a bank were mere trifles to him. But at the first movement of the left leg, he uttered a sharp cry of pain and would have fallen if Gus had not caught him and gently laid him down. What is it, old chap? asked Frank, kneeling beside him, really alarmed now the hurt seeming worse than mere bumps, which were common affairs among baseball players 
and not much worth notice. I lit on my head, but I guess I've broken my leg. Don't frighten, mother. And Jack held fast to Frank's arm as he looked into the anxious face bent over him. For, though the elder tyrannized over the younger, the brothers loved one another dearly. Lift his head, Frank, while I tie my handkerchief round to stop the bleeding, said a quiet voice, as that Devlin laid a handful of soft snow on the wound, and Jack's face brightened as he turned to thank the one big boy who never was rough with the smaller ones. Better get him right home, advised Gus, who stood by looking on with his little sisters Laura and Lottie clinging to him. Take Jill, too, for it's my opinion she has broken her back. She can't stir one bit, announced Mona Lou with a droll air of triumph, as if rather pleased than otherwise to have her patient hurt the worse, for Jack's wound was very effective, and Molly had a taste for the tragic. This cheerful statement was greeted with a wail from Susan and howls from Boo who had earned that name from the ease with which, on all occasions, he could burst into a dismal roar without shedding a tear and stop as suddenly as he began. Oh, I am so sorry. It was my fault. I shouldn't have let her do it, said Jack distressfully. It was all my fault. I made him. If I'd broken every bone I've got, it would serve me right. Don't help me, anybody. I'm a wicked thing, and I deserve to lie here and freeze and starve, cried Jill, piling up punishments in her remorseful anguish of mind and body. But we want to help you, and we can settle about blame by and by, whispered Mary with a kiss, for she adored dashing Jill and never would own that she did wrong. Here come the wood slats just in time. I'll cut away and tell one of them to hurry up. And freeing himself from his sisters, Gus went off at a great pace, proving that the long legs carried a sensible head as well as a kind heart. As the first sled approached, an air of relief pervaded the agitated party, for it was driven by Mr. Grant a big, benevolent-looking farmer who surveyed the scene with a sympathetic interest of a man and a father. Had a little accident, have you? Well, that's a pretty likely place for a spell. Tried it once myself and broke the bridge of my nose, he said, tapping that massive feature with a laugh which showed that fifty years of farming had not taken all the boy out of him. Now then, Let's see about this little chore, and lively too, for it's late, and these parties ought to be housed, he added, throwing down his whip, pushing back his cap, and nodding at the wounded with a reassuring smile. Jill, first please, sir, said Ed, the gentle squire of dames, spreading his overcoat on the sled as eagerly as ever Raleigh laid down his velvet cloak for a queen to walk upon. All right, just lay easy, my dear, and I won't hurt you a mite if I can help it. Careful as Mr. Grant was, Jill could have screamed with pain as he lifted her, but she set her lips and bore it with courage, for all the lads were looking on and Jill was proud to show that a girl could bear as much as a boy. She hid her face in the coat as soon as she was settled to hide the tears that would come, and by the time Jack was placed beside her, she had quite a little cistern of salt water stored up in Ed's coat pocket. Then the mournful procession set forth, Mr. Grant driving the oxen, the girls clustering about, the interesting invalid on the sled, 
while the boys came behind like a guard of honor, leaving the hill deserted by all but Joe, who had returned to hover about the fatal fence and pour a thunderbolt, split asunder, lying on the bank to mark the spot where the great catastrophe occurred. Chapter 1 Clear the Lula, was the general cry in a bright December afternoon when all the boys and girls of Harmony Village were out enjoying the first good snow of the season. Up and down three long coasts, they went as fast as legs and sleds could carry them. One smooth path led into the meadow, and here the little folk congregated. One swept across the pond, where skaters were darting about like water bugs. And the third, from the very top of the steep hill, ended abruptly at a rail fence on the high bank above the road. There's a group of lads and lasses sitting or leaning on this fence to rest after an exciting race, and as they repose, they amuse themselves with criticizing their mates, still absorbed in the most delightful of outdoor sports. Here comes Frank Minot, looking as solemn as a judge, cried one, as a tall fellow of sixteen spun by with a set look about the mouth and a keen sparkle of the eyes, fixed on the distant goal with a do-or-die expression. Here's Molly Lou and Little Boo, sang out another. And down came a girl with flying hair, carrying a small boy behind her, so fat that his short legs stuck out from the sides, and his round face looked over her shoulder like a full moon. There's Gus Burton. Doesn't he go it? And such a very long boy whizzed by that it looked as if his heels were at the top of the hill when his head was at the bottom. Hurrah for Ed Devlin, and a general shout greeted a sweet-faced lad with a laugh on his lips, a fine color on his brown cheek, and a gay word for every girl he passed. Laura and Lottie keep to the safe coast into the meadow, and Molly Lou is the only girl that dares to try this long one to the pond. I wouldn't for the world. The ice can't be strong yet, though it is cold enough to freeze one's nose off, said a timid damsel, who sat hugging a post and screaming whenever a mischievous lad shook the fence. No, she isn't. Here's Jack and Jill, going like fury. Clear the track for Jolly Jack, sang the boys, who had rhymes and nicknames for nearly everyone. Down came a gay red sled, bearing a boy who seemed all smile and sunshine, so white were his teeth, so golden was his hair, so bright and happy his whole air. Behind him clung a little gypsy of a girl, with black eyes and hair, cheeks as red as her hood, and a face full of fun and sparkle, as she waved Jack's blue tippet like a banner with one hand, and held on with the other. Jill goes wherever Jack does, and he lets her. He's such a good-natured chap, he can't say no. To a girl, slyly added one of the boys, who had wished to borrow the red sled and had been politely refused because Jill wanted it. He's the nicest boy in the world, for he never gets mad, said the timid young lady, recalling the many times Jack had shielded her from the terrors which beset the path to her school, in the shape of cows, dogs, and boys who made faces and called her Freddy Cat. He doesn't get mad with Jill, for she'd take his head off in two minutes if he did, growled Joe Flynn, still smarting from the rebuke Jill had given him for robbing the little ones of their safe coast because he fancied it. 
She wouldn't. She's a dear. You needn't sniff at her because she's poor. She's ever so much brighter than you are, or she wouldn't always be at the head of your class, old Joe, cried the girls, standing by their friend with a unanimity which proved what a favorite she was. Joe subsided a scornful curl to his nose as its chilly state permitted, and Mary Grant introduced a subject of general interest by asking abruptly, Who's going to the candy scrape tonight? All of us. Frank invited the whole set, and we shall have a tip-top time. We always do it at Minot's, cried Sue, the timid trembler. Jack said there was a barrel of molasses in the house, so there would be enough for all to eat and some to carry away. They know how to do things handsomely. And the speaker licked his lips, as if already tasting the feast in store for him. Mrs. Minot is a mother worth having, said Molly Lowe, coming up with Boo on the sled. And she knew what it was to need a mother, for she had none, and tried to care for the little brother with maternal love and patience. She is just as sweet as she can be, declared Mary enthusiastically especially when she has a candy scrape said Joe trying to be amiable lest he should be left out of the party whereat they all laughed and went gaily away for a farewell frolic as the sun was setting and the keen wind nipped fingers and toes as well as noses down they went one after another on the various coasts. Solemn Frank, Long Gus, Gallant, Ed, Flyaway Molly Lou, Pretty Laura and Lottie, Grumpy Joe, Sweet-Faced Mary, with Sue shrieking wildly behind her, Gay Jack and Gypsy Joe, always together, one and all bubbling over with the innocent jollity born of healthful exercise. People passing in the road below looked up and smiled involuntarily at the red-cheeked lads and lasses filling the frosty air with peals of laughter and cries of triumph as they flew by in every conceivable attitude. For the fun was at its height now and the oldest and gravest observers felt a glow of pleasure as they looked remembering their own young days. Jack, take me down to the coast. Joe said I wouldn't dare do it, so I must, commanded Joe, as they paused for breath after the long trudge up the hill. Jill, of course, was not her real name, but had been given because of her friendship with Jack, who so admired Janie Pack's spirit and fun. I guess I wouldn't. It is very bumpy and ends in a big drift. Not half so nice as this one. Hop on and we'll have a good spin across the pond. And Jack brought Thunderbolt round with a skillful swing and an engaging air that would have won obedience from anybody but willful Joe. It is very nice. But I won't be told I don't dare by any boy in the world. If you are afraid, I'll go alone. And before he could speak, she had snatched the rope from his hand, thrown herself upon the sled, and was off, helter-skelter, down the most dangerous coast on the hillside. She did not get far, however, for... Starting in a hurry, she did not guide her steed with care, and the red charger landed her in the snow halfway down, where she lay laughing till Jack came to pick her up. If you will go, I'll take you down all right. I'm not afraid, for I've done it a dozen times with other fellows. But we gave it up, 
because it is short and bad, he said, still good-natured, though a little hurt at the charge of cowardice. For Jack was as brave as a little lion, and with the best sort of bravery, the courage to do right. So it is, but I must do it a few times, or Joe will plague me and spoil my fun tonight, answered Jill, shaking her skirts and rubbing her blue hands, wet and cold with the snow. Here, put these on. I never use them. Keep them if they fit. I only carry them to please Mother. And Jack pulled out a pair of red mittens with the air of a boy used to giving away. They are lovely warm, and they do fit. Must be too small for your paws, so I'll knit you a new pair for Christmas and make you wear them, too, said Jill, putting on the mittens with a nod of thanks and ending her speech with a stamp of her rubber boots to enforce her threat. Jack laughed, and up they trudged to the spot whence the three coasts diverged. Now which will you have, he asked, with a warning look in the honest blue eyes which often unconsciously controlled naughty Jill against her will. That one, and the red mitten pointed firmly to the perilous path just tried. You will do it? I will. Come on then, and hold tight. Jack's smile was gone now, and he waited without a word while Jill tucked herself up and took his place in the front, and off they went on the brief, breathless trip straight into the drift by the fence below. I don't see anything very awful in that. Come up and have another. Joe is watching us, and I'd like to show him that we aren't afraid of anything, said Joe with a defiant glance at a distant boy who had paused to watch the descent. It is a regular go-bang, if that is what you like, answered Jack, as they plowed their way up again. It is. You boys think girls like little mean coasts without any fun or danger in them, as if we couldn't be brave or strong as well as you. Give me three go-bangs and then we'll stop. My tumble doesn't count, so give me two more, and then I'll be good. Jill took her seat as she spoke and looked up with such a rosy, pleading face that Jack gave in at once, and down they went again, raising a cloud of glittering snow dust as they reined up in fine style with their feet on the fence. It's just splendid. Now, one more, cried Jill, excited by the cheers of a slang party passing below. Proud of his skill, Jack marched back, resolved to make the third go the crowning achievement of the afternoon, while Jill pranced after him as lightly as if the big boots were the famous seven-leagued ones, and chattering about the candy scrape and whether there would be nuts or not. So full were they of this important question that they piled on haphazard and started off still talking so busily that Jill forgot to hold tight and Jack to steer carefully. Alas for the candy's grave that never was to be. Alas for poor Thunderbolt blindly setting forth on the last trip he ever made. And oh, alas, for Jack and Jill who willfully chose the wrong road and ended their fun for the winter. No one knew how it happened, but instead of landing in the drift or at the fence, there was a great crash against the bars, a dreadful plunge off the steep bank, 
a sudden scattering of girl, boy, sled, fence, earth, and snow all about the road. Two cries, and then silence. I knew they'd do it, and standing on the post where he had perched, Joe waved his arms and shouted, smash up, smash up, run, run, like a raven croaking over a battlefield when the fight was done. Down rushed the boys and girls, ready to laugh or cry, as the case might be, for accidents will happen on the best regulated coasting grounds. They found Jack sitting up, looking about him with a queer, dazed expression. One ugly cut on the forehead was bleeding in a way which sobered the boys and frightened the girls half out of their wits. He's killed, he's killed, wailed Sue, hiding her face and beginning to cry. No, I'm not. I'll be all right when I get my breath. Where's Joe? asked Jack stoutly, though still too giddy to see straight. The group about him opened, and his comrade in misfortune was discovered lying quietly in the snow with all the pretty color shocked out of her face by the fall, and winking rapidly, as if half stunned. But no wounds appeared, and when asked if she was dead, she answered in a vague sort of way. I guess not. Is Jack hurt? Broken his head, croaked Joe, stepping aside, that she might behold the fallen hero vainly, trying to look calm and cheerful with red drops running down his cheek and a lump on his forehead. Jill shut her eyes and waved the girls away, saying faintly, Never mind me. Go and see to him. Don't, I'm all right. And Jack tried to get up in order to prove that headers off a bank were mere trifles to him. But at the first movement of the left leg, he uttered a sharp cry of pain and would have fallen if Gus had not caught him and gently laid him down. What is it, old chap? asked Frank, kneeling beside him, really alarmed now the hurt seeming worse than mere bumps, which were common affairs among baseball players, and not much worth notice. I lit on my head, but I guess I've broken my leg. Don't frighten mother. And Jack held fast to Frank's arm as he looked into the anxious face bent over him. For, though the elder tyrannized over the younger, the brothers loved one another dearly. Lift his head, Frank, while I tie my handkerchief round to stop the bleeding, said a quiet voice, as that Devlin laid a handful of soft snow on the wound, and Jack's face brightened as he turned to thank the one big boy who never was rough with the smaller ones. Better get him right home, advised Gus, who stood by looking on with his little sisters Laura and Lottie clinging to him. Take Jill, too, for it's my opinion she has broken her back. She can't stir one bit, announced Mona Lou with a droll air of triumph, as if rather pleased than otherwise to have her patient hurt the worse, for Jack's wound was very effective, and Molly had a taste for the tragic. This cheerful statement was greeted with a wail from Susan and howls from Boo, who had earned that name from the ease with which, on all occasions, he could burst into a dismal roar without shedding a tear and stop as suddenly as he began. Oh, I am so sorry. It was my fault. I shouldn't have let her do it, said Jack distressfully. It was all my fault. I made him. If I'd broken every bone I've got, it would serve me right. Don't help me, anybody. I'm a wicked thing, and I deserve to lie here and freeze and starve, cried Joe, piling up punishments in her remorseful anguish of mind and body. 
but we want to help you, and we can settle about blame by and by, whispered Mary with a kiss, for she adored dashing Jill, and never would own that she did wrong. Here come the wood sleds just in time. I'll cut away and tell one of them to hurry up. And freeing himself from his sisters, Gus went off at a great pace, proving that the long legs carried a sensible head as well as a kind heart. As the first sled approached, an air of relief pervaded the agitated party, for it was driven by Mr. Grant, a big, benevolent-looking farmer who surveyed the scene with a sympathetic interest of a man and a father. Had a little accident, have you? Well, that's a pretty likely place for a spell. Tried it once myself and broke the bridge of my nose, he said, tapping that massive feature with a laugh which showed that fifty years of farming had not taken all the boy out of him. Now then, Let's see about this little chore. And lively, too, for it's late, and these parties ought to be housed, he added, throwing down his whip, pushing back his cap, and nodding at the wounded with a reassuring smile. Jill, first, please, sir, said Ed, the gentle squire of dames, spreading his overcoat on the sled as eagerly as ever Raleigh laid down his velvet cloak for a queen to walk upon. All right, just lay easy, my dear, and I won't hurt you a mite if I can help it. Careful as Mr. Grant was, Jill could have screamed with pain as he lifted her, but she set her lips and bore it with courage, for all the lads were looking on and Jill was proud to show that a girl could bear as much as a boy. She hid her face in the coat as soon as she was settled to hide the tears that would come, and by the time Jack was placed beside her, she had quite a little cistern of salt water stored up in Ed's coat pocket. Then the mournful procession set forth, Mr. Grant driving the oxen, the girls clustering about, the interesting invalids on the sled, while the boys came behind like a guard of honor, leaving the hill deserted by all but Joe, who had returned to hover about the fatal fence and pour a thunderbolt, split asunder, lying on the bank to mark the spot where the great catastrophe occurred. Thank you for listening to Sleepy. Good night.